Stand out from the crowd by gaining the right experience. The next step in your cybersecurity journey starts with Cybrary. Sign up for the Insider Pro or Teams product to learn and develop skills and reach your goals. You're listening to the 401 Access Denied podcast. I'm Mike Rowan, VP of Engineering and CISO at Cybrary. Please join me and my co-host, Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist at Thycotic, as we discuss the latest news and attempt to make cybersecurity accessible, usable, and fun. Be sure to check back every two weeks for new episodes. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of 401 Access Tonight. We're really excited to have a previous guest return with us today. So um, this is going to be a fun, interesting topic. And it's one that I think that everyone should be concerned about because it is the one topic that all organizations can have a serious impact financially, business-wise. And we're here to talk about ransomware today. Ransomware is a serious threat. And for me, it's probably one of the most, you know, the biggest threats that oil organizations will face in, you know, this year and beyond and, and for the previous year. So um, I'm joined again with my awesome co-host, Mike. Uh, Mike, do you want to give us a, an update and uh, your uh, feedback? And- yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike Rowan, VP of Engineering CISO here at Cybrary. Not much has changed. We just uh, keep pushing these out. Um, but really excited to talk to Dan. Um, as, as Joe said, previous guest, ransomware, I think big trend. Um, and it's just going to continue to be the trend of of, of the next few years. Um, so, Dan, why don't you uh, jump in, introduce yourself, and uh, we'll get started. Yeah, thanks, guys. Great to be with you again. And uh, really, I enjoyed the show we did back, I think it was October or maybe end of September, we did a show on uh, the election security. I think we got it pretty right on that one. So, I, was, yeah. I felt pretty, <laughs> I mean, if you go back and watch that show, I mean, actually, most of the stuff we, we predicted and said actually happened. And and uh, the problems were the problems, and the problems that weren't the problems didn't, didn't happen. So, I, that was a good show. Um, but yeah, Dan Lorman, my background, National Security Agency. I started uh, in the mid-80s and was in England with Lockheed and Mantec in the 90s, uh, the U.S. intelligence community, working with U.S. and British intelligence, and uh, 17 years in Michigan government. So, I had a lot of different roles in Michigan. I was uh, an agency CIO. I was a CTO for the state, CISO for the state, first CISO for all 50 state governments, and then uh, I ended my career with Michigan government in 11 to, uh, 2011 to 2014. I was the chief security officer over physical and cybersecurity. Now, currently, I work with Security Mentor. We're a security awareness training company. I'm an evangelist for the company. I'm the CSO and chief strategist and do a lot of speaking, blogging, writing, and, and appearing on great podcasts like yours. And uh, it's great to be with you guys. Yeah, thanks awesome. for joining us. Uh, one of my favorite episodes, definitely to date, was uh, uh, that one. Not just because we got some things right, but also because when I said stupid things, you yeah. you, <laughs> you didn't make me feel stupid. So that was great. I appreciated that. I like being no told I'm questions. wrong. No right. stupid questions. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so um, right before we got started, we were sort of talking about ransomware and and sort of the trends. You know, I think people think of ransomware in terms of they encrypt your data and then you pay and they give you the data back unencrypted and supposedly delete it or destroy it. And then you never hear from them again, but that's not really what, I mean, that's not all there is to it. There's a much larger trend. And, and you want to just comment on that? Sure. Yeah, I can. Absolutely. Joe, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Start. Yeah, go, go down. You, 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 you kick it off. <laughs> no, we were just saying, um, you know, we're just talking that there's a lot of new twists to it. It's coming a lot of different directions now. Mm-hmm. Um, the latest kind of, I say, I hate to use the word trend, but one of the things that's going on is people keeping your data or selling your data in addition to holding you for extortion or ransom. Um, 
you know, and, and different, different plays on that, you know, threatening, well, if you don't pay, we're going to release this to the public. If you do pay, um, we, you know, um, they, and if you pay, they still may release it, uh, even though, even though you do pay, um, or into the dark web or, and, or, you know, there's a, a lot of, we, we'll talk about this, but there's a lot of different opinions and we talk about the FBI and cyber insurance and lots of different aspects of this, but, um, you know, should you pay at all? And and laws even around don't pay, we will not pay, and the good, the bad, and the ugly with that. So um, there's a lot of twists to it. Um, obviously, the ransomware piece, um, mm-hmm. you know, we can get into this a little bit versus just traditional extortion. We're talking about data on the internet, you know, data, digital, digital assets that are being encrypted. And that's obviously making this more relevant for the internet today. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, the industry's evolved, which has really, you know, created, I guess, an ideal, you know, target uh, for ransomware. And this is really coming into a lot of services are being connected online. Um, they're going, you know, cloud computing. Um, you've got critical infrastructure, you know, getting connected directly to the public internet. And we've also seen, you know, cryptocurrencies being really the currency of choice that really enables and malicious actors to get, you know, the actual payment of ransomware cross-border as well. So, you know, previously it would have been, you know, through you know, traditional means of financial, but there's been a lot of things, connectivity and cryptocurrencies is what's really enabled ransomware to evolve over the years. And I've seen, you know, organizations have really tried to become more resilient to ransomware as well by having a much stronger backup strategy. And this is really where ransomware has evolved even further. As you're saying, Dan, it's not lo- no longer just about you know making your you know, systems on you know unbootable or you know corrupted or data poisoning. Now it's moved into basically you know extracting the data and then threatening to disclose it. Because if you've had a good solid you know backup strategy, what it means is that you were able to recover and now you're at risk basically from, you know, the attackers from, you know, disclosing it publicly. So there's a lot of, you know, it's, it's going to evolve. I think it's going to even evolve further into not just about data, but even, you know, systems, you know, transportation, critical infrastructure. This is going to continue being where maybe public transportation isn't available. Uh, maybe it becomes into those types, you know, you're watching a sports game, maybe, you know, the Super Bowl on TV and all of a sudden, you know, ransomware that you can't watch it until you pay quickly in order to get it back online again. So I think it's going to continue to evolve. And I think it's going to expand further into new areas, um, not just about, you know, data and, uh, uh, and you know, disclosing extortion of the information as well. So I think it's going to be continue. And I think organizations, this is the biggest threat, I think, that organizations face uh, because it has a real impact to the business itself, financially and productivity. I just add one more thing to what you just said, Joe. Excellent points, but certainly about Bitcoin, all of it. Um, we've seen some of that already with cities. And, you know, I, my mm-hmm. kind of focus, my career has been government, but set, sled, the sled market, state, local government education, where like Baltimore, you know, had their mm-hmm. ransomware, yep. Philadelphia, where, you know, you people after they shut down government. I mean, they shut down mm-hmm. government in Atlanta. They shut down the government in Philadelphia and, and other cities, other small towns, counties, where they could, you know, if you wanted to buy a house in Baltimore during that month, they weren't closing, you know, you couldn't, I mean, it shut down whole industries because you couldn't yeah. buy and sell houses because they couldn't issue all the different paperwork. And I won't go into all the specifics, but, you know, that that people needed to do it. People shutting down mm-hmm. mail systems. So, you know, not so much just like bringing down, you know, an electricity generator, mm-hmm. but if they can bring down the operations, we've already seen some of that. 
um, actually bring down the business around a, a function, right. certainly of government, they have caused massive disruption to everyday life already in the, in America and around the world. Yeah, absolutely. So, and Mike, any thoughts, Steve Ryan? What, what's your? You, you were talking about you know the can I move into the extortion work <laughs> as you were right, saying? Right. Um, you know what's can I, you know what's what's your take on ransomware from from your perspective? We're taking us. Yeah, I mean, I think you know we um, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning with the um, you know they have your data now you're paying to get it released you know the or paying to have it not released right like mm -hmm. there's this sense of they have your data you're paying to get the data back and then there's also if you have um, sensitive information they might release it into the world and then you have to pay to prevent that so there's there's all of those aspects and I think that's going to just continue to to be a trend mm -hmm. and so. I think where, from an industry perspective, where we need to really start focusing is how do we make it so that even if somebody has our data, it's useless to them anyway? How do we, you know, like encryption, there's, there's, there's all these different places where the data that we have is mm -hmm. totally unencrypted and available, whether it's because the applications are running and have to be able to read and write and interact with them. Like we, we need to just do a better job. I think there's a lot from like network engineering and other places, other practices where how we secure things such that these types of risks aren't there. Like, yeah. so what? You have my data, like it's encrypted. It's not going to do you any good. And I don't know yeah. how we get there. I don't know how we bridge that gap. I think, I think the big challenge that I've seen with organizations is, is, is managing that. You know, that, that is a, it's a big cost to organizations. You know, we've, we've, we've improved over the years to doing, you know, encryption uh, during transit. So when data is moving between systems or moving, you know, across the internet in, in, in general, um, we've been good at actually encrypting in transit, and, you know, with improvements and protocols. However, to have data encryption, you know, at rest, that's expensive um, and costly. And I think that's the challenge of organizations are looking at this from a perspective is, is that, you know, if I'm protecting, you know, if I'm a bank and I'm protecting the walls around what's my most valuable things, um, now I actually have to, you know, uh, put everything into small encryption, you know, and, and protect it even further. Um, what's the point of even having those walls? Well, you know, but I guess where I'm going is that there's this, there's this other, so you have a laptop. Let's just break it down real simple, right? I have a laptop. It's encrypted at rest. When I have full disk encryption enabled, if, if it, and so you need my password in order to get the data. However, once I'm on my computer, my operating system has unencrypted the data, and now it's, it's not in transit, and it's not really at rest anymore because I'm interacting, I'm using it, I'm working with it. At that moment, all of the data on my computer is available for all of the processes that are on the computer, which means that's the point at which I'm vulnerable. That's where malware is attacking, and yeah. that's this one section that I think is really lacking in our, in our security. You know, It's like, great, <laughs> it's encrypted at rest. If somebody steals my laptop while it was off, we're protected. And when I'm transferring data off of my laptop, it's protected. But there's this big gap where... Which, which, which is a big gap because it's, right, it's a huge gap. And that's where the, and that's where malware comes in, right? Like, right. And I think, but I do think, and I'm curious what Dan's thoughts are, but I, you know, whenever I fill out these security questionnaires and I'm like, is data encrypted at rest? Is data encrypted at transit? Like, yes and yes, but yet these problems still persist. Obviously, these aren't the only two places where there's a problem. And how are we attacking that. And I think that's where the biggest risk is. And that's where we need more focus. Uh, I'm curious, Dan, what your thoughts? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think, you know, 
I'm doing a couple other sessions earlier this week and then one tomorrow. It's about the human factor, you know, depending on which studies you look at and which polls you believe. It's all over the map, but anywhere from 60 to 90 percent of security data breaches could have been prevented had the end user done something differently. Now, that's a broad category. I agree. You've got to truck through that. But had you not clicked on the link, had you changed your password, had you not reused your password, had you, you know, whatever. So in so many of these ransomware attacks, you say, well, I'll begin because Frank clicked on the link, you know, and it's like, to your point, it's like, then somebody gets in. I know last week you guys did solar winds, but I mean, it's like, how did, you know, where do these things, somehow these people are getting into these environments and some of the stories, we could tell some stories, but some of the ransomware stories, I've got two or three I can share, you know, are just unbelievable. And you think some of these people have been in for a long time and they're like, they're in your systems, they're in your servers, they're in your laptop, they're watching, they're, 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 they're taking over your cameras. They're doing whatever they can. And but what's happening is, I mean, some stories, I won't go through the whole long list, but like one, one company I know in Grand Rapids, it's literally, they've been in there for like three months. And the guy was like, it's almost like a movie. The guy, like five minutes before they hit the button, they called the CEO of the company. And it's like, we own you. There's nothing you can do. You know, yada, 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 yada. I mean, like trash mouth talk and like, boom, hit the button. And, and they had, it wasn't just they knew where the backups were. They were in the cloud. They were separated. Right. But they had they had been in there for so long, just like you know, watching and 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 learning the systems that they had actually they had, yes they encrypted the backups. Yes, they had gone. They knew all of that because they had been in there. It's like they had been in their email accounts. They had been in their system accounts, and they basically owned them. And then ransomware was the way they monetized it. So my point is, I'm with you, and it, it's hard. You know, any one piece is difficult because you know there is always. I mean. I, can we get better? Sure. The bad guys are going to keep evolving as well. And they're going to see what you're doing to protect yourself. I'm not saying there's no solutions here because mm-hmm. I'm a, all about <laughs> answers and solutions. And we need to get to some of those at the end here, guys, of how right, people absolutely. protect themselves. But I, I, so I'm not hopeless, but I mean, it, it's, 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 it's a complicated, it's a complicated issue. Yeah. Absolutely. Just going back, you know, I think there's, there's a difference here is that what I've seen is that, you know, from me becoming a single victim of ransomware on my my system is one thing. Um, but for what attackers will tend to do is they will go in and basically look in order to elevate to full domain credentials. And it's when they get domain credentials and then they start finding out, you know, where all the servers are, where all the data is, where is the backups? And now those credentials that I have, you know, I can then unlock all the systems in the network with a full domain administrator credential. I can actually do map drives. I can, you know, access all the systems. I can, you know, elevate credentials even further. And ultimately what they end up doing is once they've got the full domain credentials, that's when basically they will, you know, deliver the payload. And having full domain means they can map a drive to all systems in the network in an automated way. And all of a sudden they just drop the ransomware in every single system and execute it. And they'll delete their history and their logs of everything they've done prior to that point in time. And now all of a sudden, the organization is basically at a standstill. All systems are encrypted, nothing's working. Now, the problem is, going back to Dan, absolutely, um, you mentioned about having backups, and they'll look for the online backups, and they'll, they'll encrypt those as well. This really gets into is, you know, we have to face the challenge that, you know, the online backups are good against hardware failures, or let's say network failures, or availability failures. They're not good for ransomware. When we talk about ransomware, you have to get into having a solid offline backup. That's the only thing is, is you have to look at a backup strategy and your backup strategy is only as good as what you're defending against. 
And if you're only you know, looking at that hardware failure, which is why we do backups in the first place, hard disks have a you know, good three, five-year lifespan. We always have hard disk failures. And that's where we get into RAID and we get into off, you know, off-site backups in regards to fire and, and, and other physical types of damage. But if it's online, that's basically the risk. And therefore, we need to make sure that periodically organizations have to make sure that they actually do an offline backup. And actually rotate it just like, I mean, I rotate disks all the time just to make sure that even if I do have a hardware failure or a ransomware attack, that I still have a backup of X amount of time. And that's where really, you know, that's where you get into that you don't have to pay the ransom unless you get into the fear of the actually, you know, disclosing side, the extortion piece. Right. That's where you start having to worry about. Um, and then organizations are then challenged because, if you have a breach and data's been stolen, that's actually in the Verizon data breach investigation report last year for the first time, they indicated that ransomware was considered a data breach, where previously it was a security incident. And they changed that classification because ransomware is now stealing data, not just about encrypting it. So that classification had been changed. And it really gets, means that we have to look at ransomware now you know, broader. It means that it has regulatory compliance issues. Now I've got data loss, data you know, disclosure. Now I have to notify regulations, you know, either through things like GDPR or California Consumer Privacy Act. All of those start to trigger. And now I'm not at fear of being in failure of compliance and having major fines that way. So it's really extending and broadening the scope. And we have to make sure you know, that with ransomware, it's a multi-strategy approach. You can't just take one. And that's why we're talking about data encryption at rest. We're talking about you know, having offline backups of systems, um, having good instant response. And ultimately, you know, even you know, getting into segregation of duties is your your backup team should not have the same credentials as your production team. This is it's it's a very very difficult thing to defend against. But ultimately, you know, the reason why Dan, you know, you mentioned to be in for months at a time, is they're looking to continually elevate their credentials. They're mapping out. They're creating that site map. They're creating their digital, basically, you know, footprint of the organization to understand when they do trigger that payload and that you know malicious payload. They want to make sure that the organization comes to a standstill. They want to make sure that they you know, have no other choice or option but to consider paying the ransom. Well, and that's the other reason why they might be in the system for a long time, right? If, if your only option is to restore to backups three months ago, six months ago, like how much are you really, how far back in time can you afford to go? And even, <laughs> even with the risk of an offline backup, you might be just restoring something that they still own, right? And now Correct. you're just extending, you're just extending the period of time you're really you know, SOL, like the, you know, you, great, we restored from three months ago, let's get back and running. And three months later, it's all happening again. You know, it's, I'm curious, Dan, like what, you know, what are your thoughts? How do you, how do, how should companies be dealing with that? Yeah, I, I, these are great points. And, and you know, Joe and, and like both, you know, excellent, excellent analysis. I, you know, I want to mention one thing before I answer your question, Mike, I will, I, you know, just for the audience, just some, some, some scale here, the growth in ransomware is, Phenomenal. I mean, I remember 2019 and 2019, I said ransomware was the top story of the year for state and local governments because it hit like it grew 180 percent from the previous year. Some people even say 380 percent, depending on what numbers you look at. I mean, I have different data behind that. But then 2020, it was 100 percent growth from there. So it's just it's really exponential growth. And the industries, I mean, lots of state and local government are being hit, but companies are being hit. Hospitals are being hit. I mean, and so I just want to, I want to mention that, you know, it, it, this is really ubiquitous right now. And I agree with Joe. I mean, it is probably the top 
issue out there right now. If you want to look across the board in the cybersecurity industry, you got to say ransomware is right at the top of the list. I just want to throw that in there. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm just on that point. I think there's lots of like I don't want to go into too deep onto why that is, but I do think there's lots of reasons why 2020, especially, we see this explosion. Part of it is it was a you know a bunch of years ago. It was a new technology, and so only very sophisticated or whatever people had to write it. Now it's it's turnkey. It's it's so easy. It's, it's just right. It's just easy money, and. So, yeah. So, so what's 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 happening is is that you've you've got multiple participators and you know attackers in this whole chain. You've got the actually ransomware creators, those who's actually developing it. They're the ones that's creating the code. They're not the ones that typically deploying it. What right. they're doing is they're selling it as a service to those basically on the on the on the dark web. But basically, you know, you can go and say, "Give me the latest version that you have." And you'll, you'll, it's like a marketplace for ransomware. So you've got the ones that's creating it. You've got those. Are buying it, and then also, also you've got out there is you've got the scanners and the access, the people who's actually specialized in gaining access to organizations. So they're not typically also the people um, deploying it; they're the ones who's selling the access. So you've got multiple actors here, multiple criminals as part of this whole organized. You know, it's 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 an organized crime with basically different gangs that's operating in different areas. So this is really where we have to look at it, that there's not one single operator. It's not the same person creating, it's not the same person delivering, and it's not the same person who's actually gaining access. They're typically, you've got this person, the person who delivers the payload has potentially even bought the credentials to gain access. They've actually you know, bought it as maybe an affiliation program, the ransomware itself. So they'll actually pay back part of their, their profit. Um, so th this is the problem is, is that it's, it's a multiple organized you know, criminal gangs that's participating in this all, you know, specializing in different uh, skill sets. Yep. Yeah, and, and I just, yeah, so getting back to Mike's question yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. earlier, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of answers. There, There's no one silver bullet. Mm -hmm. um, I, I totally agree with Joe. It, it's, it's a complicated question. I do think it starts with good online backups that are regularly done. I mean, I, online and offline backups. I'm saying offline backups. I'm, I'm actually meant offline backups that are tested and testing those mm -hmm. and having quick response, having, you know, um, indicators of compromise, having different um, people in place and processes in place, certainly for organizations and governments that I work with, you know, having a really good incident response plans and, you know, being ready for this, being ready um, for sadly when it happens and, and like really, um, you know, the word that you, I keep hearing from Department of Homeland Security and others in Washington, but it's a good word is resiliency is being resilient and there's a lot of different ways you can be resilient. And, and we can talk about that. I, I certainly want to talk, we get into a little bit, guys, about cyber insurance and the good, bad, and ugly with cyber insurance, because I think that is part of the solution that a lot of people say, well, we can't stop it, it's coming, so let's get buy cyber insurance. And th there's a lot of pros to cyber insurance. I'm not anti-cyber insurance. Same time, there's a lot of negatives with cyber insurance too. And so we can talk about that um, if we want to go there. But, but you know, so yeah, great, Great backups offline that are tested, that are regular, that you know are good, and that you know are. I, Joe, I don't know if you can ever get there, but clean. That you know that you know good. Uh, you know always, and we've been talking about this for thirty years. Having a good baseline that you know that you can go back to, that is stable, that you can run your business on. I mean, we could have said that in the nineties, right? I mean, that you know maybe it was you know viruses or mm -hmm. or you know different terms. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, Mike. Earlier, you said you got to coin that term. 
giving people <laughs> ideas out here, coin that term extor- extortion where, you know, it is extortion. It's, it's a new trend on this. Um, but uh, maybe a little later as well, I can tell, tell you a little story back. It goes back to, uh, to uh, 2006, where in an exercise we did um, at the state of Michigan, um, we actually ran into ransomware. This was seven years before it was even out there. I mean, you know, this was, be, somebody said they coined the term in 89. I don't really believe that. Um, but but we had never heard of it before, but it came out in an exercise. If you want to hear the story, I'll tell it to you. But, you know, well, we, we, we actually, you know, ran scenarios in government, in Michigan government, when I was CISO and working with Department of Homeland Security, working with others, well, we ran into this and it's like we mocked it and laughed at it. Little do we know that seven, eight, eight, nine years, 10 years later, 15 years later, this would become the number one issue in the world for cyber pros. Who was in the room at the time? Because they're probably a billionaire, right? They they did this, right? <laughs> it's all them. It's no, that, so That's the bad you, guy. Let me tell you the story real quick. It's a funny story. And I'll, I'll try to make it real Please. quick, guys. It's yeah. a funny story. So we were part of Cyberstorm 1. I don't know if you guys know what Cyberstorms are, but Cyberstorm is one, two, three, four, five, six. Every two years, Homeland Security does this big exercise. It's a it's a tabletop. It's like an exercise they do. Um, I think up the Cyberstorm 7 is the coming year. They did uh, in twenty. 2018, I think they did Cyberstorm 6. So it was like four states were involved, Homeland Security, a bunch of federal agencies. UK was involved, I think New Zealand, Australia, France, Germany. So it was a big exercise. You know, how is your team going to respond to this major incident? And, and the easiest way to describe Cyberstorm 1 is to, is to literally think about, if you've ever seen the movie Die Hard 4, um, live free and die hard. I mean, that was Cyberstorm One. It was way over the top. It was a few years after after 9-11, right? So, I mean, because, you know, we're used to like buildings being blown up and things. So the first thing that happens in Cyberstorm One is they blew up our data center. Literally a bomb went off, boom, it's gone. No more data center. Uh, there was no cloud at the time. You know, all these different things happened. You know, they hacked our other thing. I mean, everything was, I mean, it was all hell broke loose. You know, the city was in ruins. It was rubble. I mean, we were basically dead and, you know, game over, right? Um, but we got to Thursday. This was a five-day exercise. So we get to, we get to Thursday afternoon. And they said, there's one more thing you got to do before we can, you know, end the exercise. We're like, okay. So like, we need a new bull mainframe. We got to get a bull mainframe. Like bull, our whole payroll was running on bull at the time. Then I don't even know if there is even a bull, bull anymore out of France. I, it, it even exists. But that was, we were running on a bull, B-U-L-L, bull mainframe. Mm-hmm. And um, we're like, okay, well, how are we going to do that? So we'll read the instructions. So, you know, we, we open the playbook and there it is. You know, call France on the red phone. So we pick up the red phone. Literally, it's a red phone on the desk. We pick it up. This is all, you know, we're play acting this. You know, we're President, you know, President Clinton here or whatever, uh, President Bush. Picking up the phone, you know, we need a bull mainframe. It's 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 bull headquarters in France. They're, they're, they're play acting this whole thing, right? So they got a guy on there with a real thick French accent. I'm not going to try and imitate it. I mean, literally, I can barely understand the guy. So he's like, he's like, we need a bull mainframe. They're like, oh, yes, we got one bull mainframe left. There's one in the world, you know? And we're like, oh, one. He's like, he says, yes. I said, okay, well, we, we want that. We'll buy it right now for $12 million. We knew it was $12 million. And then there was silence. And the guy says, we won $45 million. <laughs> and I'm like, $45 million? I, I put my hand on the phone. Everybody in the room was like, they won $45 million for the bull mainframe. And we're like, um, and everyone's like, ah, it's, it's extortion. It's extortion. And uh, everyone's yelling. And uh, so we went through the whole thing. We negotiated. We bought it for $23 million. The exercise ended. It was all tabletop. 
Right. The next day we're doing the hot wash, which is, you know, the, the last day, you know, going through with the good, the bad, and the ugly, what went well, what didn't like, what didn't you like? One of my engineers raises his hands, really sharp guy. Who's, you know, very, very famous now. Good guy. Um, making a lot of money. Um, he says to me, Dan, that whole thing with the bull mainframe, that would never happen. I mean, they were extorting money because of a bull mainframe. You know, it's like <laughs> one guy said, yeah, they were holding us for ransom. That's unbelievable. <laughs> that would never happen in this world. And then and then somebody else, literally, I kid you not, somebody else in the back says, yeah, let's write it on the board, ransomware. That, they were <laughs> was laughing as if it was just a big joke. This is 2006, guys. Right. 2006. Wow. I mean, there was this, this all happened. And, and DHS thought about this seven years. I say seven years because 2013, if you start looking at all the literature and going back in history, some people like doing this. Some people are like, I don't want to take the time. It, it was about 2013 when you really started seeing a, a growth in ransomware. I mean, obviously, it got bigger, 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 bigger. And I said it was the story of the year in 2019, in my opinion. Now it's clearly number one. But, but back, you know, 2013, it started showing up. 2006, I, I challenge anybody to show me an article that says I was hit by ransomware in 06. I don't think it's out there. I haven't seen any. But my point is, so what's the moral of the story? You, organizations can you know do cyber exercises, do tabletops. I don't know what the thing is going to be in 2030 or 2025. But, but if you play out some scenarios and really think them through, what would you really do if this happened or that happened? Work with some scenario planners. We work with Homeland Security. Obviously, there was some smart people in that room that had thought about this. They knew what they were doing. They had done their homework, and they put that into the scenario in 06. And so my point is you can, you know, you can predict the future of your organization. If you know your business, you know your organization, you know your backups, you know your systems, you do your job well and do it really well, just like, you know, football, you know, the defense is going to change. The offense has got to change. They take away the wide receiver. We're going to run the football. I mean, it's a little bit like football analogies. I mean, they're going to change. We're going to change. We're going to adapt. We're going to call an audible. We're going to be Tom Brady at the line and we're going to make a change and we're going to be ready for what's coming at us. And if you do that well, you can win football games. I mean, and and so I think organizations can't don't shouldn't just throw in the towel. I think they need to do all the things Joe talked about. They knew they need to do their basics. They need to have good plans. They need to have good security awareness training. They need to be teaching their people those things. But they also you need to be doing incident, you know, um, tabletops and and those kinds of things as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the 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 big thing that you know, I talked to lots of people and I asked like what are you guys are doing around incident response? And they, you know, we have an incident re response plan, but are you running through it? Like, great. You have a plan. Have you ha like, what happens when it happens? Like, do you actually know, have you run through it? Do you have, you know, I think Joe and I were talking about, um, you know, do I have Joe on speed dial so that like, I can get like, <laughs> like my organization, we don't have it, Like we're small. We don't have, you know, like we can do a little bit and we can figure some stuff out, but there's a certain point at which we potentially are going to do more harm than good. And do we have people who we can rely on who can help us through this? And so I think that's, you know, these are all important things, have tabletops and, and, and go through it. Um, I think are some of the biggest, be prepared. Like it's, it's just such an inevitability for yep. so many organizations that the best thing you can do is just be prepared for it, I think is, is a great takeaway. Yeah, absolutely. Dan, you're, I mean, it is so critical to, to do these exercises 
you know, it's so important to go through the instant response plan and practice it and, and not just doing it in silos within, you know, your IT team or your security team. You have to involve every other department and even third-party external companies yep. that you deal with as well. It's important that you bring everyone involved. You know, in, you know, the CFO needs to be involved. You need to have your legal team involved. Your communication, your support team need to understand about, you know, when you're in a situation, you might have customers calling you. You might have, you know, all of a sudden your phone line is unavailable because so many people's calling to find out what's going on. Absolutely. So it's really important that these take what I refer to as a full 360 approach and that you basically make sure that everyone in different you know, departments are involved. And that's where you get creativity. That's where you get down, as you mentioned, people become creative, you know, creative into different potential scenarios that may, you know, have never been seen before. And that's where you start really understanding about what's important to the business. How do you become more resilient? And I think those are what's critical is organizations need to practice this. And just like you would do a fire drill, just like you do, you know, safety, uh, you know, was it, uh, you know, talks and safety uh, scenarios, this is a safety scenario. Uh, and go back also, you know, one thing I find as well is sometimes it's good approach. Organizations, you know, when people are, are leaving their office and going home, uh, an incident I've seen that actually was lucky enough that uh, a lot of the desktops were on an impacted by the ransom was that they actually turned them off at night. When they left, when they leave home, you know, five o'clock in the evening, six o'clock, whatever, they shut down the systems. And most attackers, if you're in a country, most attackers are on different time zones. It's, it's not, they're not, you know, they're not down the street in a coffee, you know, place, you know, attacking organization. They're in a different time zone, typically in their lunch hour or their evening attacking you. And what that means, most likely it's out of your business hours. It's outside of normal business hours. So if your systems are off or, you know, switched off, you have proper segmentation as well. But when the attackers do deploy the, the, the payload, that if systems are not turned on, <laughs> you have a better chance of having some systems, you know, becoming, uh, you know, protected uh, from being affected as well. So there's a lot of different scenarios organizations need to practice um, in these, you know, tests and, and it's responsible, you know, help them become more resilient. I totally agree. And I, I think one of the tabletops, especially I'm with you and you know, we did statewide ones. We did, we used to do uh, even later, like in 11, 12, 14, 13, 14, you know, but I've done a number of them even in the last couple of years with different States and, and governments um, bringing in, like you said, the private sector partners, bringing in the utilities for, you know, what would happen if we had, you know, we did, we had a blackout in the USA in 2003 in Michigan. Yeah. We, we went down, the Northeast went down and we, you know, we lived through that. So saying all the power going out for a couple of days, I mean, that's not, you know, whether it's cyber or whether it's a storm or whether it's ice or whatever, um, that's not that, you know, far-fetched. And so, you know, I remember after that blackout, we had two of our three data centers at the time that did not have generators, literally. Yeah. And uh, we came out of that. We came out of the, the blackout of 03. I spent four days at the, at the emergency command center for state police in Michigan. And, um, you know, we we came out with a laundry list of action items. And I think that's one thing I just guys don't take this a little bit of a different direction. But, you know, people need to act after. I mean, I, I think the story a couple yeah. weeks ago, we would be neglecting the topic, you know, what happened in the UK, you guys can speak to it too, but the company got hit, they paid the ransom and then they, I don't know if they went on vacation or what they did, but you know, two weeks later, they came back and did the same thing over again. They had to pay twice. I mean, yep. it's like, you know, that's, that's, I mean, it's like <laughs> they didn't do anything or if they did, they didn't stop anything. Um, you know, and it was like a double whammy, um, you know, I, I got the article where if you guys want to bring it up and we can talk about it, but I mean, the reality is, you know, um, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta really take action and, and you gotta think about, 
mm-hmm. um, you know, the ramifications of, of, of what's going to happen and, and get different people involved, uh, whether it's whether it's power outages, whether it's, you know, like you said, critical infrastructure, mm-hmm. Joe, or your, your core business, um, you know, being able to learn from that. And then apply the lessons learned in that in that blackout. I was just going to say we went out right away. We got generators for those for those for those other data centers. It seems so obvious. Why wouldn't you have? But at that time, it was you know data centers weren't that we you know we were kind of consolidating from you know literally hundreds of broom closet servers all over the state government. And now we created these things called data centers, which twenty years ago was a kind of a new thing. Not totally, but I mean. Yeah. You know, we had a lot of, of random servers that we consolidated into, into much more secure spaces. And then they weren't being protected adequately. So we went out, we got generators for them. Next next year, we have a big ice storm in Michigan. Lansing's dead for a day, but all of our data centers have backup power because we had the generators in place. So, I mean, it actually helped us for other things. But my point is resiliency is obviously cybersecurity, but it's also really all of the aspects of the business, as Joe yeah. mentioned. And, you know, we would get the governor involved. We get the cabinet involved in government. Um, you need to get your business leaders involved. And there can be different levels of tabletops. You can you can mm-hmm. do them at your at your department level. You can do them at the company level. You can do them at the, at the literally at the state level. We've done them where it was, you know, um, you know, like I said, the utilities involved, the hospitals involved. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the scenario? We did them for bird flu, you know, getting ready for COVID, you know, um, not really thinking we'd have a worldwide pandemic in 2020. But, you know, those things were in place because of some of the um, uh, processes and plans we put in place, you know, a decade earlier. Yeah. And I think the I just, testing is yeah. an important part because like, so you guys go out and get, like, you have this power failure, right? Mm-hmm. You go out and get generators for your data center. I, uh, similar story, but the data center that we were using, this is a long time ago, they had generators, but the time it took for the generator to come back online, like all of these machines went down. Like it was, it wasn't like a total outage, but like it took a long time to like, oh, some machines actually had UPSs and were able to last long enough. Others didn't. And then we spent hours trying to like get the system back online, all of these various systems in the, you know, back online in an appropriate way. So it's, it's not just, Oh, we got the generator. It's like now test it, make sure it works. What's our process. Gasoline goes bad. Are we changing the gasoline in there? What are we doing to stabilize it? Those types of things. Like there's so many more than just, you know, get the generator. And I think that's where these tabletop exercises and, and going through it and, and and actually physically testing things in some cases to learn like, oh no, the there's it takes, you know, 10 minutes to switch over from regular power to the to the backup generator and and, and you, what are we you're doing? Looking at 10 minutes in your UPS as well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> as long as that, you know, am I gonna make it? <laughs> exactly. 10 minutes is pushing it on hey, some of them. <laughs> everyone everyone grab a battery and start heating it up to keep it going. <laughs> right. Well now we all have electric cars so we just plug we just have to just do the inverter right to run the data center. <laughs> so but but it's going you know I I've I've seen a transition over my my time you know and I've you know it's going back to, to one thing that Dan, you mentioned it, and Mike as well. I've seen a case a few years ago where, you know, an organization had basically, you know, become a victim of ransomware and they restored from the backups and continued you know, perfectly, you know, onwards and, and were, you know, thought they were quite resilient until they end up finding that basically the ransomware was in the backup itself and they simply had restored it. And it was there basically waiting on a schedule uh, for so many machines to be infected and then it triggered. And all of a sudden they realized that now they'd actually had the ransomware twice within the space of a month. And no longer it was 15 days of data loss. They lost the entire month. 
And then they had to go and find out which backup to go to. When was the, you know, when's a good backup? So this is really, you know, and to go back to, to one of Dan's point as well, is that, you know, even those who become victims who did pay the ransom, what that sends a signal to other criminals, because we're not just dealing with one ransomware gang in the world. There's hundreds of them, even thousands of them, you know, even some that are state-sponsored that are basically, you know, given a, a blind eye by some governments in order to carry out their criminal activities, as long as they don't do it in their own you know, and let's say national borders. Um, and this becomes, you know, a major issue. So you end up getting those scenarios about, you know, if you do pay, then you're basically opening yourself up to become, you know, if you don't try to change and you don't try to put resiliency in place and, and modify your security controls to, to close those back doors that have been, you know, uh, exposed, that you end up becoming a target of other uh, gangs who will say, hey, and that's not to say that, you know, the ransomware gang that you dealt with, that you paid the ransom, they will go and sell the access to other organizations as well to make more money. And now you, all of a sudden you become a, a target of those. So this is a major issue that it's, it's you have to, you know, it's part of the incident response, it's part of those assessments. You have to perform risk, risk assessments. You have to understand what is critical to the business and what can you, you know, how much the systems cost when they're not running um, for the business. What's that, you know, gap? What's that cost? Um, and therefore, it will give you an idea of basically the tangible, you know, financial cost and impact. And therefore, give you some idea about what you should be investing in to reduce that risk. Yeah, and I think, um, and Dan, I'm sorry to jump in, but I think part of my job a lot of times is trying to, you know, trying to justify the cost of whatever it is that we're doing. And I think to Joe's point, right, tying it to business outcomes, values, OKRs, whatever you want to call it, that's how you get what you need as a, you know, in, in at, at the top of the organization. And that's how you get the the money. But also to what Dan was talking about earlier, it it could be from an ice storm. It's not always cyber, right? So it's also tying into like what are some other re- like let's think about all of the risks. And make sure that, you know, and it makes it much easier to budget for when you're saying like, hey, no, this, these are all these various things that could result in this and this, this thing that I'm looking to purchase or this thing I'm looking to do sort of helps to satisfy or mitigate all of yeah. these various risks, including weather, flu, yeah. pandemics. Squirrels and yeah. rats Squirrel, exactly. cyber, cyber criminals. Uh, bed bugs. I mean, if you're, if, if, depending on what industry you're in, bed bugs might be a real problem that could shut you down, you know, like, so, you know, and yeah. so how do you, you know, so I think it's also working with other departments to tie these risks together, understand the risks um, of the business mm-hmm. and, and do that. Yeah, I, I think, guys, there's two points on that, Mike. I think... You mentioned earlier COVID, and and it's 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 changed for a lot of organizations too in 2020 because now you're working from home, and now you know so maybe the data's maybe you've got data backed up in the cloud, maybe you've got cloud services, uh, software as a service, you've got different opportunities and different services, but maybe you know an ice storm brings down Michigan, and I mean, all the homes are down. So now you know how are your employee if your employees if 100 of your employees are all you know, all over Lansing and, you know, an ice storm hits in power. Thankfully that didn't happen this winter, but, but, you know, where before you could maybe keep the building up or keep the the network up um, and everybody was on the network and maybe even, maybe not your PCs were, were backed up or had um, backup power generators, whatever. Now, you know, maybe not so much. So I, it, it is, it's an, it, but my point is it's a constantly changing environment and, and COVID, you know, the work from home is a whole other topic we could talk about, but certainly complicates things. I think, you know, there's a lot of studies coming out now. We said it last spring pretty widely that, you know, there's data breaches being created now by all these business process changes. But as things change, 
And now they change back again or change partially back to maybe going back to the office, maybe not. Um, you know, that's, it's, it's an evolving thing. So it, it's not a moment in time static. You got to constantly be thinking ahead, thinking about the next, you know, the next thing. I also want to bring up guys, and I really would like to talk, get your thoughts on the cyber insurance question, because I think for a lot of people, their answer is, oh, we got cyber insurance. We're good. And, and um, I just, one quick story I'd like to share with you, if you don't mind quickly. Please. And then, um, sure. You know, and then and then just kind of there's a bunch of questions we could spend, you know, a whole set. Maybe next time I come back, we just talk about cyber insurance. Yeah, uh, I would love to have you back for cyber insurance. I have some <laughs> friends we can bring on. It'll be great. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's a great topic. And I think it's look overall, I think I'm, I'm I want you to all have everyone to know. I, I think there's benefits to it, it you know, and, and they're getting smarter. They're getting better. The prices are going up, but they're they're You know, because people are getting hit. They have checklists. They say you have to do these things before we're going to give you the policy. And I think CFOs sometimes really, you know, will, will listen to chief security officers because they say we can't get the cyber insurance policy unless we do these 10 things, which, oh, by the way, I've been saying the same things for the last few years, but I couldn't get the CFO to pay for. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of good with that. But I, I, there's a local company here in Lansing. I'll just share the story um, that was hit. Uh, they had cyber insurance. They had a five million dollar policy. I'm not going to go into too many details about it. Um, but I'll just say at a high level, generically, um, they didn't want to pay. They, they're like, we're not paying. Um, cyber insurance company said, oh, well, we know these people <laughs> and uh, we can talk them down to one point two million, um, which is interesting in and of itself. We could talk about that. But um, basically. Um, and if by the way, if you don't if you don't go this route, it's your decision, It's your decision. Mm -hmm. But if you don't go this route. We're only going to give you 1.2 million. We're not going to give you 5 million because we think it's going to cost you 8 million to rebuild all your systems and to do all the things you need to do. So it's almost like, I don't want to say, I don't want to use the word extortion from the cyber insurance company, but I didn't say that. But I mean, that's a little bit of how the, the security team may feel sometimes. Um, so it's kind of like, well, what are we going to do? And so, you know, guess what they did? You know, they, 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 they did what the insurance company did. They paid the ransom. They got 80% of their data back and they had got some data that wasn't, you know, they got, they got it, they got it resolved. Um, but there's a lot of morals to that story. And, and a lot of people say, you know, and I even did an article like about a year ago about, you know, do insurance companies encourage paying the ransom? And they keep saying, they keep claiming they don't, and they come out publicly saying they don't. And it's always the company's decision. And I think they really believe that, but it, it, there's a, there's a underlying question around, are there policies and procedures encouraging you know, negotiating and paying the ransom. And there's even in New York City just came out a, a commission around, you know, what insurers can and can't do in New York. And it's, it's people are talking about it becoming a new model for the, for the country and maybe the world around, you know, practices and ethical practices, best practices around cyber insurance. And, and so that just came out. And, and um, so there's, there's a lot to this. There's a lot of aspects of it. Um, but there's, a, there's definitely a relationship between ransomware paying ransoms. I mean, obviously if people buying cyber insurance, mm -hmm. they think that this is going to help them have, if they get hit and it's going to pay for the expenses they're going to incur. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, guys. I mean, can Absolutely. I just pay the bad guys ahead of time so they don't attack me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that, 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 that's the challenge. I'm, I'm, I'm a person that I'm very against fueling future cyber crime. Um, if we provide, you know, continue funding uh, cybercrime, it's just going to get worse. They're going to be able to hire more sophisticated, you know, developers and people, 
And it's going to be basically, you know, an increasing ongoing problem that we will never fix if we keep funding it. Um, we have to get, you know, and this is a collaborative approach. I've even seen some governments getting into thinking about cyber offensive in this area, that they will attack ransomware gangs and, you know, countries. And this gets into really because what you end up doing is you're attacking the victims that they're abusing and, and using their systems to attack you. So it gets into even more complicated when you're looking at the cyber offensive. But going back in Dan's uh, uh, mention around cyber insurance, um, for me, I've seen, I, I came across, I, you know, 10 years ago, I worked in the maritime side of things, working in, in maritime uh, protection and security and cyber. And it was at the highlight of the piracy. And we're in the same situation that the shipping companies were between 2006 and 2012, 2013, where piracy is the same thing. It was basically taking you know, hold of, of, of ships and therefore, basically, they were you know, holding them the ransom and those ship, shipping companies had to pay. So the um, uh, pirates would not uh, you know, damage or, or hurt the crew. Um, or even you know damage the goods that they were carrying. If it was you know a ship that was carrying, let's say, oil, and they turned off the heating, and all of a sudden that that oil would would thicken and, and and create cracks. So there's a lot of challenges, and I see similarities in the how the insurance worked then is how we're working today in cyber, is that ultimately the cyber insurance's goal is to basically minimize the cost as much as possible. If that means paying the insurance and paying paying the ransom, that means they're going to take that path. Um, they may say publicly that they won't. They may say you know, a statement that they won't. But ultimately, they'll look at the financial side of it and determine. And I've even seen cases where the, the insurance companies have went directly, even without the company's approval or authorization, and paying the ransomware directly um, and doing those negotiations without the company or the victim being involved. So we have to get into really, you know, I'm about not paying the ransom and not feeling future cybercrime. And we have to come into what is the right thing to do? And the right thing to do is make it uh, more difficult for a ransom to be successful, not taking the opposite way out of actually paying it once it's already happened. Uh, I think, you know, I've seen even, even I'll give an example. A few years ago in Ukraine, um, there was actually, you know, we, we were all familiar with the, the, you know, the not patches side of things and, you know, a lot of victims and, and in Ukraine, they were, you know, struggling significantly with a lot of ransomware cases. And there was one particular incident that ultimately uh, doing investigation, uh, there was a lot of investigations of different ransomware cases. And this particular one, you know, looking at the case file itself, it didn't follow the normal, typical route that you would see. If you work in a lot of ransomware cases, they tend to be very identical, very, very similar to them. The path in may have modified us a little bit. Their elevation path may have been very, you know, uh, you know, slight differences. But the flow and the, you know, attack path was very, very, you know, similar to most cases. Um, and ultimately, this particular one, is, it didn't follow that routine. And after further investigation, they found out they actually, the company themselves had actually deployed the ransomware themselves. Um, and this was ultimately to cover up another crime of basically financial fraud. Um, and ultimately, if you look at this story, is the company affected themselves to hide up financial fraud. And as a result of going through this ransomware case, they were actually going to get financial funding from insurance <laughs> um, as a result of this. So you have also, you know, you have to look at this as that, you know, we have to look at how ransomware um, kind of works and what the risk is. And we have to actually look at the actually mitigating the actually impact itself of ransomware, how it gets on organizations and how it's used, and rather than being the reactive side and actually trying to deal with it after. Um, I'm more of the proactive side. And we have to get to the point where, you know, there's certain countries which are actually harvesting these types of criminals. 
And I think it takes a international cooperation to mitigate that as well. It means we have to really look at, you know, providing not a safe place for them to operate from. And this means holding countries accountable for actually providing safe havens for ransomware guys. So I think, you know, cyber insurance is great, but cyber insurance and ransomware together, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult combination. I mean, I think if you, and I don't know, I haven't looked at what New York um, has passed or whatever, but I think it's interesting to think about it from the terms of if, if cyber insurance is limited to helping pay for the cost of repairing and not allowed to pay the actual ransom, but you're talking about this, like this, you're talking about a long-term strategy for us to get out of this where we're paying for things. But the problem is companies, like there's a lot of, there's the short-term tactics of, well, we've done the math and it'll be so much cheaper and so much easier for us to just to pay this as, as us as a little company. And so, right, that, that cooperation, that like broader thing is so hard. I think, you know, companies especially are so money driven that it's like, well, why would we pay, why would we risk going out of business when we can just pay a much smaller, you know, much smaller amount and get over this and get back to business as usual. And I think yeah. that that's going to be a big challenge. Backups. Backups. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't be point, in the position in the first place. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and, and that's why I, I was asked, a bunch of articles came out about four or five months ago around, you know, laws, and they're going to see this come up again. It's going to pop up again. Here's another prediction for you. I mean, you know, this, let's just pass a law that you can't pay ransoms. I mean, right. it's not, you know, you know, we have a law, no extortions against the law as well, yeah. right? I mean, we, we we have laws, but unfortunately we have an out, you know, we can outlaw extortion, but it doesn't necessarily mean extortion is going to stop. So, I mean, to your point, um, I I don't, I'm not, people have asked me my opinion. I, I just don't think it's going to work if you just pass a law saying you can't pay the ransom. Um, I, right, because you'll just pay the ransom. The companies will just pay the ransom under the, it'll just be a different breaking happening. of the law. Right. It's already happening. And, 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 and there are people who say, and again, I don't, I want to quote numbers here because I don't know which one's right. But I, I, I hear people say that even the numbers we have with ransomware are low, that the, uh, the vast majority is never reported. And, and that there is stuff that never makes it to the paper, never makes it in the, in the criminal, mm-hmm. never gets reported to the FBI or local police or whatever. Um, or other, you know, criminal you know, criminal justice organizations around the world. So um, I'm there, and uh, I, I just it, it's a very complicated issue. I'm with you. While I'm agree with Joe, I'm not for paying the ransoms. On a, but it's I also realize on a case by case basis, it's it's probably Pollyannish to think you can just pass a law outlawing ransom paying, and yeah. and and it's also it, it's not going to work. And in an individual situation for an individual company, who am I to tell that CEO, don't pay it? I mean, yeah. I, I'm not- right, but all, Actually, I think all you're going to do is create a new ind- a new gray, gray industry of consultants who okay. will, you know, who you hire to negotiate this stuff. Like, it's just going to create that, like- a new a new black market or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think I think back to like some of the stuff that was happening in the drug cartels in in South America, and you know, oh, it was just the sort of cost of doing business down here is like, oh yeah, well, my my people might get kidnapped. That's cool. They're not going to get harmed. I'm just going to pay them off. I'll get my people mm-hmm. back or whatever it is, and it just became sort of a cost of business, which is not the direction we want to see. Yeah. Ransom that, I mean, that's, going. That's what, you know. One thing is the law has to be very you know, let's say has has some flexibilities. Um, you know, I've always been in a situation, I remember, unless it's in a life or death situation, then there's no room for negotiation. That was always the case. 
And I remember a few years ago that it was a, a cancer research company became the victim of ransomware. And that was a case where basically, you know, five years of research was at risk of being completely lost. And you're looking at, you know, that situation, you're thinking, well, okay, there is a clause for, you know, creating exceptions of considering negotiation. And ultimately, from a negotiation perspective, you know, the criminals just, you know, realized the impact of this themselves and, and got some, you know, ethics and morals and, and were able to, to you know, uh, assist and, and reduce it down significantly. Uh, but that's not always the case. Um, but I think, you know, there has to be, the law itself has to be flexible enough to look at certain situations. Um, but it also should be in a situation where it doesn't create that gray area where people will go and find a, a criminal way of, of paying for it. Because ultimately then, you know, we have to make sure that then executives and boards are held accountable for that. We just look at the case a few years ago with Uber that, you know, when they paid the attackers not to, you know, to destroy the data, um, they created a criminal act. Um, you know, and and this is where the situation you you hold people accountable for those actions, um, and that's why you have to make sure that that's in place as well. So it's not just a law that says yes or no, you can't pay ransom. It has to be very well thought through. A lot of different scenarios. Yeah, I, I, guys, I know we're almost out of time. I, I want to just mention some resources for our listeners. You know, I don't know. Um, one of them is is uh, no more ransom dot org. Um, yep. it, is a, it is a good resource. It's in multiple languages globally, wherever you're watching from today. Um, no more ransom.org. You can, you can read about it. Mm-hmm. it. It's got, you know, some, some, in some cases they can give you the de-encryption key. Uh, they actually, you know, can help you. They, they walk you through the process. They can get you in touch with law enforcement if you want to go that route. And, and, and it's got a lot of really good advice there. There's a number of other great websites out there. Um, I would just encourage people, again, proactively for solutions. I could list a bunch, but, you know, um, Homeland Security, CISA, um, CISA's got um, a, a great website on this. Uh, FEMA, uh, CRSC, uh, Computer Security Resource Center, crsc.nist.gov, another great one you can look at for, for um, tabletop exercises and planning. Um, I, I love that library, by the way, CSRC. Mm-hmm. .nist.gov for a lot of things, for a lot of topics we're not even talking about today is a great resource. But I encourage you, do your homework in advance because don't just listen to all this and say, yeah, great, and then shut it down. I mean, you got to take action in your organization and make steps and ask the good questions and and plan in advance because this is going to happen to an organization that you're a part of. Absolutely. And I agree. We'll, we'll try and make sure that a lot of those resources are put in the footnotes of the show itself. So, um, absolutely. And any final thoughts or any final mentions, uh, Mike, as well? What's- yeah, no, I think um, Dan said, and I think, you know, my, my final thought is really, you know, at the very least, it, do incident response, do the planning, disaster recovery, do the tabletops, those types of things. They're things you can start doing today. They don't require like a huge investment in technology. Just start working through it help identify where your problems are and where your, where your blind spots are. It's the, it's the first step if you're not doing that. Absolutely. I mean, for me, I, you know, having been involved in a lot of ransomware cases over the years, um, you know, I can't emphasize enough the importance of having offline backups. I mean, that's, you know, you don't want to be in the situation where you're, you're, you're completely at loss of all the data and you're basically, your business is coming to a halt and you have to start thinking about paying the ransom. That should not be the situation. So, you know, solid offline backup strategy. That will you know, provide you a lot of good basis to make sure that at least you can recover and you can get back to operations as soon as possible. So ultimately, I mean, ransomware for me for is the biggest threat to organizations. It's the one that, had, you know, it, 
it doesn't you know care about you know what business you're in. It's there for pure financial profitability, and it will take advantage of your business's connectivity and the systems that you have and the data that you're actually you know uh, critical to. So it's really critical and important that you do take this this serious. You know, ransomware is the serious threat, um, and that you need to take action. Just like Dan and Mike had said, you really can't just sit back and think that you know okay you know I'll put this later. I'll do it in six months' time or three months' time or a year. This is not something that you can actually delay and put off. You must take action now. And a lot of the resources that Dan had mentioned, you know, no, no ransomware, um, no more ransomware, that's critical. You know, it's it's important to look at that and educate yourself. So hopefully, you know, a lot of the topics, Dan has been great. Um, I think, you know, Mike's input has been fantastic as well. And I think you really need to take action. Ransomware is a big threat. And, you know, once you listen to this, hopefully you've learned something um, and you will be able to take value away and take immediate action. Um, so, you know, this is an important topic and I'm pretty sure it won't be the last time we'll talk about it. I'm pretty sure I think myself and Mike uh, mentioned it. We'll, we'll actually even later talk about instant response, how to to respond to, to not just the ransomware, but maybe security incident in general. So again, many thanks for tuning in. Um, we're really excited about these podcasts. Um, every two weeks, 401 Access Denied. Uh, listening on your favorite, uh, you know, whether it being Spotify or, or you know, on um, Apple Podcasts, wherever it may be, um, join us every two weeks, and uh, you know, hopefully, you get entertained. Um, so again, thank you. Stay safe, and uh, you know, offline backups. One more time. All the best. Bye. Long. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrae for Business by going to www.cybrae.it/business. This podcast is also brought to you by Thycotic, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit www.thycotic.com.